think the best thing about we do a lot of velo machine, a lot of breaking ball machine is because that's the closest thing we can do to create real life. So in a typical velo round, you take six to eight swings. To me, if you square the ball up 60% of the time, that's a pretty good round. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. During this episode, I interview Michael Early, assistant coach and hitting coach for Arizona State University. Early played under Tracy Smith at Indiana from 2008 to 2010 before going on to a professional career with the Chicago White Sox organization. He played professional baseball for six seasons, including time with the team's AAA affiliate, the Charlotte Knights. During his professional career, he was named to four all-star teams and was named a member of the Southern Illinois All-Decade Team. Well, if you didn't get a chance to watch ASU play this year, they could rake. And on the show, Michael shares some of his favorite drill work and how he approaches batting practice. And we also discuss the types of tech that he finds useful, and he shares what they use for decision training as well as self-scouting. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Michael Early. Coach Early, welcome to the show. John, good to be here. Absolutely. Well, I have been looking forward to our conversation for ever since we decided to set a date, which is today. And I am just really ready to dig into some player development. I know that you guys just raked this year, and I am really ready to dig into that. But I want to get to know you a little bit better. And you mentioned before we got started that you're from Indiana, and you it's probably not 110 in Indiana during the <laughs> summer, which it is in Tempe and Phoenix right now. But I want to know you know, a little bit about your baseball background and how you decided to get into coaching. Yeah, well, first, it's not 110, but it, it gets pretty humid. So it can, yeah. uh, huh. that humidity, that humidity, when you're not in it, it'll, it, <laughs> you're like, whoa. <laughs> but yeah, so I uh, played for Tracy Smith in Indiana, actually. So that, that's kind of my connection with him at Arizona State. And I, two years ago, I went out there just for a visit, like a four-day visit, said I wanted to shadow the program. I had every intention of, of leaving after those four days with a possible job and and I did. So he thought I was just coming to visit. I was out there. I wanted to stay. So it's, it's, I'm really out there and coaching because of him. He's someone I always wanted to coach for. And he's someone I've always looked up to. And, you know, he, if he would have been in Indiana, I would have tried to coach in Indiana. Mm-hmm. He would have been at somewhere in Maine. I would have tried to go coach out there too. He just happened to be at, you know, one of the best baseball programs of all time. So I think it just made it a little sweeter. Absolutely. And he's, you know, he's a fun follow on Twitter as well. Seems like a very passionate guy and just seems like an awesome guy to work for. Yeah, he is, man. He, he is pretty funny on Twitter. And he, he's a, he's a character, but I, he's, he's such a hard worker and he's, he's so family oriented and mm-hmm. it's just, it makes, it makes everyone's life easier because he, he does such a good job with our staff and our players and it's just it's easy it's easy to come work hard for him every day for sure for sure I like that and and I've been following his career and some different things that he's done since he was at Indiana and 
and he's been fun to watch. And and so have you guys. I mean, you guys really just were awesome this past year, especially on offense. And you had several early round picks, and you guys had a ton of home runs, a ton of doubles. And I just really want to dig into the player development side to see how you developed them into the baseball players that they became. And I know you guys have had some really, really good recruiting classes, which I'm sure that helps. But let's let's talk about what this past fall looks like or what this upcoming fall is going to look like for you. And, you know, what does a typical week of training look like? We do it a little different, I think, just because we have the weather and we have two fields. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're always able to hit on the field. I mean, we hit outside every day. I mean, we start in the cage, but we're always outside hitting. And then what I do that's a little different is let's say usually every day practice is at 2.30 or 3, okay? I start hitting at 12. So I take groups of three or four for every 30 minutes up to that time. Now it makes my day and some of the other shifts days longer, but it helps us get that individual time where in college baseball, when you're just fitting in your offense into the regular practice, it's hard to coach. I can't coach 15 guys at once. So when I can get them down to groups of three or four, mm-hmm. it just makes it it makes it more personal. You learn the guys more, and I just think it's really worked out. We started doing that last year. So group one, that's you get thirty minutes with three guys, and that only counts for thirty minutes of their twenty hours a week. You said mm-hmm. so. It's I think that's helped a ton. Oh, I really like that, and and I, and one of my questions was, you know, how do you get around time restrictions and. I think college has the, has the worst ones. I know that we don't have very good ones in high school. We get them an hour a day all fall, which is sounds like a whole lot more than than you get them. But it's trying to fit everything that we want to do to help them make them better baseball players into our time restrictions. It's not it's not a recipe for success unless we're fairly organized. And and again, you know, whenever you whenever you guys get your twenty hours, are you scripting everything beforehand, or are you getting to know them while working through some things. I mean, take us through your process on what you decide to work on with that 30 minutes. It really, we, so I try to group the guys to a similar, so I try to group all the lefties together. You know, if we have a couple switch hitters, I try to group them together, power guys together, speed guys together. So the conversation can be relatively similar throughout the process. And the cool thing about doing that and trying to match up guys is they start teaching each other and talking to each other. And when that happens, I've done my job and I don't need to do anything. So it was, it was cool last year to see Hunter Bishop was hitting. If he was struggling, you had Carter Aldretti, he just got drafted by the Giants, and Spencer Torkelson mm-hmm. chiming in to him before I did and saying the same stuff that I said. So really trying to group those guys. I try to make sure I have – it's never going to be perfect, but you want to have a, a leader in each group and you want to have a young guy in each group. So I always made sure we have a kid who's going to be a sophomore this year, I always made sure he was with Carter Aldretti's group. And I always made sure Torkelson and Bishop were together because they would compete against each other. And there's a couple of two infielders, our, our middle infield, they were always together. So it was just about trying to group guys by who they are, how they play and similarities, but also mix in some leadership with some inexperience so they can teach that guy. And then this process, and just continue on. And this year, you really saw it. My first year, I was just kind of laying the ground level with it. Mm-hmm. This year, it was like, it was clockwork. I mean, I, my job was so easy this year because of the foundation we laid the year before. So that's something that I am trying to do as well. I, I'm year two back at a, you know, at a stop where I was previously, but I didn't really know a whole lot of the kids. And so I, 
I really wanted to lay that groundwork and, you know, take us back to just a really a review of your first year and how you did that. Because I want to know, especially because you did it well, obviously. And for the guys that are in similar situations who are going into their first year or just finished their first year, what would be your advice on how to lay that groundwork, how to lay that foundation to where year two and especially year three, again, it's like clockwork it's and it's a well-oiled machine? Well, I mean, I think one of the bigger things, what helps is we, we had success. So whenever you have success, it's always easy for guys to follow. Mm-hmm. But what I would right. say is just be strong in your convictions and be willing to make adjustments. So I've adjusted a lot. Like I started out a certain way and it kind of, sometimes the guys kind of create their own routine too. Mm-hmm. So, and it kind of just morphs into, it kind of happens organically. Like you, you lay the foundation of the daily stuff and you got to be willing to make adjustments. You got to be willing to listen to them. You got to be willing to listen to them and you got to be able, you got to be willing to tell them, you know, just to be quiet. Like this is how it's going to be sure. and picking, picking which, which is which, because there's sometimes they are right mm-hmm. because they're doing it. And there's sometimes they're 18 and 20 year old kids and you got to kind of be like, Hey, relax, man. Just give it some time. So I think that's definitely a, a, a difficult part of it is knowing when to dictate, when to hold them accountable and when to listen to them when it comes to like just daily work. Sure. Sure. And being flexible yet strong in your beliefs. I, I really like that. And, and you mentioned that you have some stuff that you do every day, or at least, you know, that that's something that I'm trying to, again, simplify some different things and, and find some stuff that not everyone needs, but just find everyone's little routines that they need to go through to get them moving right, to get them feeling right. So do you mind sharing a couple of those with you or with us? And are there stuff that everyone does on a daily basis? I know we're in the era of hyper-individualization, which for the most part is really good, but I think there's also some different things that possibly could work for everyone. So I'm always interested in hearing what everybody's everyday drills or their routines look like. Yeah, so I'll just give you a couple guys, for example, who like goes back to the groupings and the pairings. So every day, Drew Swift, our second baseman, and Alika Williams for the last two years have, they start off their day on tea, mm-hmm. which not the biggest tea guy, but I, I like the, I like the tea cause I always, I always like to hit by myself, but sure. that's just another, another deal. But they always start off on the tea. They always start off uh, hands only. Then they go to a no stride drill and then they do one round of regular front toss. And then they do two or three rounds of angle toss, which we're, we're really big on where mm-hmm. the ball's coming from behind them. They do that every single day. Then they jump into a couple of rounds of BP in the cage, and then they're on the field, either BP live or BP off the fastball machine. So it's nothing crazy. It's nothing reinventing the wheel, but it's a routine that we came up with for them. Now, you flip side, you go Hunter Bishop. This year, we started doing, I got one of those tees. It's like a shut tee. It almost folds out like a briefcase. It's kind of old school, mm-hmm. but it has all the dots in it. I don't know right. if you've ever seen that. Mm-hmm. But you can put up to four tees on it on a time. So we'd have two, one on the outside, one on the inside. He'd start off, he'd hit the outside one first, then he'd hit the inside. And then we would switch to, right when he would go into his load, I would tell him which ball to hit. So he'd go into his load and be like, outside, bam, load, inside, bam. And he'd connect and I'd switch it up. And all that was was a a body control drill, keeping his body in the same spot no matter where the pitch is. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just really, that's the hard part about finding each thing for each guy and grouping it together. But 
and that's one of those things too. They kind of, they kind of tell you what they want. And you kind of tell them what, what we want. Right. Right. And again, I, I've talked about simplifying a little bit because I, I feel like last year at times I didn't really know the kids all that well. And the longer the year went on, the, the easier it was to try and, you know, fit them with different drills that really helped them. But early on, I was really too drill happy and just essentially throwing spaghetti at a wall to see if it would stick. And I think part of that process was okay, just because I was trying to get to know them, see how they moved. But at the same time, I really want to do a better job of developing daily routines for those guys. And is that something that you've been conscious about over, you know, the last couple of years? Yeah. And I think the best way to develop like a daily routine or come up with drills is to work backwards. Like everyone wants to come up with the drill first because you want it to be a process. You want to go drill work into the game. But I think when you first get guys, you got to see their game swings or like their swings off a high intensity velo like a game and then develop their drills off that. You got to work backwards a little bit like that. before you start. It's the whole, they, you want to crawl before you walk, I guess. But like in this case, you got to kind of know what their deficiencies are or some of the things they need to work on before you set the drills. And I've, I've done that before too. I'm like, we're going to do this drill, this drill, this drill. Mm -hmm. And then you get to game stuff. You're like, well, you don't really need to do that. You need to do this. Right. Well, and you know, at times last year, I felt like I spent as much time explaining the purpose of a drill as they actually did performing the drill. (laughs) And I really want to get away from that. And (laughs) I know that you talked about year two being a whole lot better and, you know, getting them into some different verbiage that you use and understanding the, we regurgitate a lot of different drills and, and uh, name them a lot of different things, but just being able to put it on a list and them to understand what it all means, I think is going to help it go a whole lot smoother. But yeah, I, I did that way too much last year. Yeah. And I'll have a little bit of that this year because I got a ton of freshmen coming in. I don't, last year, I only have one new position player come in wow. so we have all these guys returning and we have a lot of guys returning again but we're just bringing in a lot more so that whole uh some of these guys are going to be in year three i'm going to need them to pick me up a little bit because uh, <laughs> it's tough when you got you know 10 12 new guys coming in sure sure and i think that that's something that being concise with my communication and not really over explaining or ex- if that makes sense of just here's what you need, here's you know, here's the premise of the drill and not trying to do it in a way that makes me sound good, but doing it in a way that they fully understand the process of it. And I know that we all need to, uh, we as coaches need to understand the complexity of a lot of different things, but also be able to simplify it in a way that makes sense to the player. And, and that's something that I've been working on and, and something that we take the summer to be able to do and, and to revamp and and that's what, I mean, I, that's at least what I, I take my summers to do. But you mentioned that, you know, one of your players, you guys like the angle toss, and you said from behind you. Is that like, so if you're a righty, is that like in the on the third base side or literally like behind you where the catcher is setting up? Yeah, so when a, so let's say a righty's up, I'd have them, they'd cross the plate and put their heels on the first line of the lefty batter's box. Okay. And I would get a little more, I'd move the screen, we'll move the screen a little more behind them. And you're tossing it almost middle away. So they're really trying to leverage the ball and they're trying to hit it to dead center. And then occasionally throw it at their front hip, to turn on it, but you don't want them to hook it. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it really helps you stay closed and it really helps you stay behind the ball. If you have too much forward movement too soon, for such a simple low speed drill, you're going to get instant feedback. 
Sure. I, I like that. And I, I always love instant feedback. I think it's, you know, if we can set up an environment that gives that to the player and they understand how to feel or they understand the ultimate goal of the activity, then it's just going to make them better. And they're going to get, again, like you said, instant feedback. So I love that. But let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the culture that you guys have built and are continuing to build. And obviously, ASU is one of the all-time best winningest programs, most successful programs. And so you've got that in your back pocket a little bit, but everyone wants to build a culture in their own way, according to the individual and the head of the program. And, and so I just want to know, what are some different things that you guys do for culture building? And what are some things that are, are important to you and that you're very intentional about? Well, I think I think it first starts in recruiting. I think our uh, recruiting coordinator, Ben Greenspan, and our head coach, they just do a phenomenal job of, you know, you're trying to build a puzzle and they're bringing in the right pieces. I think it starts there. You know, Ben really does his homework on every guy, talks to a lot of people, try to get as much information as we can on the kids before we bring in this kid into the locker room. So I think, number one, bringing in the right guys really, really helps with culture building because if you're bringing in guys that all fit together, it, it makes your life a lot easier. And I think, I think that's a big reason why we've been successful the last couple of years. Just as far as culture building, I mean, it's, I don't know if we do anything crazy. You know, it's just mm-hmm. guys are always at the field. Like they are always at the field. I never walk into the locker room and there's not six to 12 of them just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just because, I mean, they generally like being around each other and we bring in guys who live and die baseball. Like, you come to Arizona State, you're going to get a great education. But if you come here, you love to play baseball. And I think, I don't think we do anything. You know, we don't, occasionally we have team meals or we, you know, I think a couple of the guys went hiking last year, but it's nothing, no campfires or anything like that. It's just bringing in, bringing in guys who love to play and, and this is their life. And I think, I think that is, that's enough. I love it. And again, we can do all the, all of these different culture building things, but if we're not spending time with each other, then I, I don't know how much it really matters. And you mentioned earlier that you really like to start with their in-game swings and then work backwards from there. So for our listeners who are they're just wondering what you're looking for whenever you're getting started in the fall, and I'm sure you've seen some of the incoming freshmen hit in games and maybe a little bit on the side, but you haven't gotten to work with them every day. But where do you start whenever they come in? And, you know, what what does that look like from really the first day? And how do you progress forward towards that? Because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking there's a lot of these different things that we can fix, but here's where I want to start because some of this may clean up the rest of it. So in short, where, where do you start whenever you're looking for what a player needs to work on? First, when they first come in and it's one of those things where there, you always see stuff you want to fix, even when you're recruiting them. But you recruited them there for a reason because you like what they do. So I never try to jump on guys too quick with changes. My big philosophy is is they'll come to you. And so I, I really try to wait. I really do. And, and that's what's great about fall ball in Arizona is because we're already outside. We can see those game swings in the first week, and we can see those high-intensity swings. And – when you're bringing in the right type of kid who's obsessed about getting better, they will always come to you. I mean, that, that's been that's been the biggest thing is I never want to get on a guy too soon because some people are pretty sensitive about their 
their baseball swing. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've noticed that. Sure. And yours, I mean, you, you, if you're too critical early, you, you, I think you can lose guys. Mm-hmm. So I think what's been easy for me is I have some really good hitters who come to me a lot. And then those younger guys see that and they, they feel comfortable doing it and it just becomes a part of the process. So I think early on, you got to kind of let them, let them sink or swim and then they're going to come to you. But when they come to you, you have to be ready to give them an answer or give them an idea or try this. Let's try that. If this doesn't work, we'll try that. But those, these kids, man, they, they will always know if you're not prepared. So that's, that's something I never want to be. I love that. So you've got a ton of different players from different parts of the country and, you know, you've got your West Coast guys who and guys in the South who are probably seeing a ton of velo, and then you've got maybe guys from smaller schools or from just different parts of the country where they may not be seeing that a ton. So is that something that you guys do a lot of in the fall? You've mentioned the machine a couple of different times, but how do you use it? So I, I use it on two different ways. We do two different types of hitting. I call it, we have like comfortable days and we have disruption days. And I think it's, I think it's, both are good for you because you got your comfort swings. You know, it's big in the game right now. Everyone's like, what does 40 mile an hour BP do for you? What does hitting off the tee do for you? What does front toss do for you? You're right. I don't think it prepares you that much for the game, but there's something to be said about confidence. Mm -hmm. So you're feeling good. That stuff makes you feel good. Sometimes you step in the box and you're feeling good. You're going to be right. But I think the best thing about, we do a lot of VLO machines, a lot of breaking ball machine is because that's the closest thing we can do to create real life. So in a typical velo round, you take six to eight swings. To me, if you square the ball up 60% of the time, that's a pretty good round because it's hard. Now guys really get frustrated. They get mad at the machine. They get mad at the timing. That's the same stuff you get mad at when you're facing a live pitcher. Sure. So yeah. it's, it's really about just failing, failing better. I've heard people say, which I love, you got to fail. The best thing about those machine rounds is when guys will struggle for two or three rounds and then their last four, five, six rounds, they're squaring everything up because they made an adjustment. So I think that the best way to train is to train as close to game-like as possible. And I think there's room for the easy stuff because that stuff makes you feel good and that stuff, confidence and hitting is, is everything. So I try to mix that stuff up as much as possible. I like that. And Again, that's that's something that this fall I'm trying to find the mix of, okay, here are here are, are our swing deficiencies and things that we want to work on, and I want to get them comfortable moving in a certain way before I throw too much stress at them because, you know, once you get into the velo machine, all you're thinking about is squaring the ball up. You're not thinking about how to move. You're not thinking about what feels right. And a lot of times you can revert back to what you started with and what you've been doing for a long, long period of time unless you've started to ingrain the different movement patterns in a way that feels comfortable for you. And it's kind of that baseline, but what's your advice with that? Because I, you know, I've been trying to find the right mix and is it, it's going to be different with each kid because some kids are going to grasp a little bit better than other kids, but you're so limited this fall that you don't have a ton of time to be able to do this and that. And then, and I guess I've got a little bit more time than you do, but being able to take a little bit of time to make sure we're moving well and then put them in stressful situations and trying to find the right mix. So what's your advice for me for that? I think as a coach, you got to be willing to sacrifice, you know, some of your life and your time just to make them better. I think, I think a lot of the issues with some coaching is 
and it's not anyone's fault. It's just, if you can put in more time than the next guy, I think you might have more success. So mm-hmm. for me, it's if I have to start at 11 instead of 12, cause I need to get, I got to log this guy in for his time. If I got to start at 11 or if I can get him in between class at 10, you know what I mean? If I can get him for 15 minutes now and then he just he can't do something later in the week for 15 minutes. I think, I think that's what, I think that's what it is. I think as a coach for me, I'm always pride myself on always being available. Mm-hmm. And I always want to have that, you know, that thing in the back of your mind, well, I'm out here more, I'm out here more than this guy. I'm out here more than that guy. And I think that for me, that gives, makes me feel like I'll have a little edge. And who knows? I don't know. I don't know what anyone else is doing. I don't know how much time East Coast has put. I don't know, but I like to always think like, you know what? I don't know if anyone's putting in more time. They might be putting in just as much. So I think for me, it's, if you're willing to do more, I think you, I think you have to. I think you can't just crunch it into the small part of the day you get. No doubt, no doubt. Another aspect that I am constantly looking to improve on is ways to train adjustability in the swing. And you talked about Hunter and his 2T drill, which I really like that. And you're talking about posture and being able to adjust. So besides that, what, what else do you have for us? Open up the bag and just throw everything out that you've got. So uh, we do a lot, like I said, working backwards. So some of the harder stuff we do in our new facility, we have two slider machines, uh, righty slider, lefty slider. Righties always hit off the righty, pretty much lefties hit off the lefty. And it's not really about hitting a slider. It's about getting in a good position, hitting against something that's it's a firm slider. I don't know if we see sliders just kidding the game. So it's something that's difficult, gets guys in the right position. They have to let the ball travel. They have to get, let it get a little deeper and hit it the other way. We do a ton of that. And then we also will do, we do the offset flips. We'll do offset velo where on that though, I like to have that coming from the opposite side, not from behind because offset velo from behind can be a little difficult, mm-hmm. almost to me, almost too much failure where it's like, you gotta, you gotta be able to get some type of feedback. We still do it, but not as much as angle from the other side. Mm-hmm. And it really, man, it's just a lot of, uh, timing disruption as much as i can disrupt their timing where they figure it out in the end and then on the flip side make them feel really good and comfortable before the game i think that's been our biggest thing we've done to develop these guys is because we're getting some good players so that doesn't hurt and we got some guys with some really really good aptitude so you try to throw as much stuff at them as possible try to almost beat them down make them feel good right before it's time to go into the game and I think you got something special. Oh, that's really good. What what machines do you guys use? Like, is it the spin ball or the hacks? No, we got we got hack attacks. We got about I think we got about six of them, and we use them. We use them so much, we've broken them a couple times. But they got they got great service. I I gotta say that I hear they're some of the best service people I've ever dealt with. <laughs> so <laughs> they're awesome. Cool. So their machines are awesome. And but yeah, we I mean we use them a lot. We use them a lot just because. I mean, I know you've noticed how good pitching is getting, and they say they say the hitting is behind. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to catch up, and some of these guys, man, are throwing these high spin rate, high vert balls, and mm-hmm. we're up there, we're up there trying to hit them. So we try to recreate that stuff as much as possible. So yeah, it's a, it's a ton of that. It's a ton of fast timing disruption stuff as much as we can do, but also at the same time knowing when to dial it back 
and you know give them some some comfort food. Oh, I love that, and and I love that that you're mixing in both because you know, like you've mentioned a couple of times, if we're consistently beating them down without any success, it's is going to make them a little bit better. But man, it's that you can definitely you know blow their confidence with that, and and so uh, another thing that that I've been really trying to dig into lately is decision training and and getting them to make better decisions while hitting. And, you know, some of the best hitting advice we could ever give is swing at strikes and don't swing at balls. And so how how are you guys training that in practice? You know, that's that's one thing for me that I'm always thinking about, too, you know, because in practice, how many balls do you see? Not very many. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've kind of come up with a theory. You know, I I don't necessarily know, to be honest. My theory has been we see so many strikes at high speeds in practice that we know how to dictate what's a strike and what's a ball. And I think that's really worked out. I think you're seeing strikes all the time and it's off the tee, off a flip, off someone throwing 45 or 50. It's hard to dictate, but I think Mm -hmm. if you see a ton of strikes at a high speed level, you kind of create your own zone. You kind of create your own box and you know, when you leave that box and, and I don't really have a, a great answer for it except for, we do that a lot and we, we control the zone a lot. So that my theory on it is just that it goes back to that high speed training. So they're seeing a ton of strikes every day at a high speed level. So they kind of know, and they kind of learn their zone. And it's really cool too, because you'll tell when guys are locked in because that machine you'll get in there and they see pitch number, pitch number 30. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the machine is off and they take that ball. So that's when, you know, guys are really locked in and they're not just in swing mode. And then we actually, when we got that new facility, I wanted to get an iron mic because we've really created a culture here of like, I'd say, Katie, I always say like those who hit often, hit often. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, we probably borderline on hitting too much. So we got the iron mic, the guys are in there all the time, just on their own. It'll be 11 o'clock at night. And I'll get a video on my phone from Spencer Torkelson or Alika Williams or someone like, Hey, look at this. But the best thing about that iron mic too, is it, it's not, it doesn't throw a strike every time. So that's, that's the beauty about such a lost art, the iron mic, sure. but, but our guys love it. So that was, that was, that's the only machine I've seen where it's like, it's just inaccurate enough where you can get in there and not just be in swing mode. But mm-hmm. I don't have a, I guess a great answer for that, except for, I think the more high intense stuff you can do in the zone. I think you learn to create your zone. Sure. And, you know, we, we've got the hacks and, and you're, you're right. Every now and then they'll just throw it a filthy splitter whenever you're trying to see velocity and it just drops off the table and you're like, well, just what, how do you hit that? And I'm like, you just, I guess you don't swing at it. Cause I don't know if you can, but I like that. And, and we've, we have a couple of the home plate machines, which are the big black ones with the wheels and they have the, the home plate on Different them. And pitches. Yeah. And, and, and those are really hard to time up, but I really like I really like the idea of being able to use those, but the timing mechanism is, is kind of tough. So we haven't used that a ton, but we actually we're, we're getting in a spin ball machine this, this summer, which I hear are really good and you can actually control the spin rate. So we're going to be messing around with those a little bit. That's the Rawlings, the big red ones, uh, which. We, yeah. Yeah. I've seen this. We almost got those and I just kind of stuck with what we'd always use. What kind of high school do you coach at, man? Gee, what? <laughs> yeah. You guys, you guys get cars and stuff too. Yeah, yeah I wish, but <laughs> no, so yeah, just trying to get them in in game swings as much as as we can, and again, trying to put them in slightly more stressful situations than what they're going to see in a game, and so they're they're gonna it, hopefully the game will slow down a little bit. But another thing that we really like to do is integrate competition 
and whether that's just counting barrels, I mean, it just giving them some sort of what you mentioned earlier, immediate feedback or some sort of, hey, you're, we're going to compete against the machine or against the guys in your group. And you hit on that a little bit earlier of where you're trying to group guys up that are competitive with each other. But what are some different competitions that you like? I tell you what, when we're around that cage, we get some, what do you call them, alpha male type guys, or they, or they think they are. So the trash talk, a little bit for us, can get a little intense, just like even against pitchers, almost almost too much sometimes where I got to kind of dial them back. But we pride ourselves on having a little edge. I think the bat flips at times can get a little out of control, but I guess that comes with it. But we, we did something really cool this spring because we had a smaller roster and it's not, we don't do like occasional have, you know, like a competition round where, yeah, you count barrels or base mm-hmm. hits. But we do a lot of that with, with the pitcher. So we had our Friday and Saturday guy. Okay. They would throw their four or five innings and they're just starting. Well, we had our four best hitters hit off those guys continuously. Mm-hmm. So Alec Marsh, our Friday guy, never had a stress-free inning. He never saw seven, eight, nine-hole hitters till our first game. So he was facing our one, two, three, four, and five hitters sometimes every time he pitched. And like, and our hitters were facing our Friday and Saturday guy. And that's the most our hitters ever struggled was in practice because they were seeing they they weren't seeing the bullpen guy ever the the freshman who's not ready. They we they never saw that guy in practice. So competitively, I know it's not like I'm not sure if I'm touching on exactly what you asked, but competitively it goes back to what we were saying with failing better, struggling in practice because, and I think it really helped us really to start the season because I mean, there was a day where we punched out a ton. Like it was, you kind of had to step back and be like, okay, we don't, we don't do this a lot, but it was great at the same time because guys, the pitchers kind of gave it to them a little bit. So we had to make an adjustment, which it's kind of hard to do when you get deeper down the roster with some of the younger pitchers. So I thought coach Smith came up with that idea and it was, it was great. And it really helped us out a ton. So I'm assuming that trash talk was allowed and encouraged. Yeah. Yes. And no, like it's one of those where that's not our mentality, like inner squad. Yeah. That's always going to happen. We always do it to each other. But we, we really pride ourselves as a team at just kind of like letting our letting our play talk to ourselves. We don't we don't promote like we stay with our guys. Like we do not talk to the other team. That is mm-hmm. a big big thing. We just we don't believe in. But when it, you better believe when it comes to in practice stuff, hitters, pitchers, some of these guys are buddies. Yeah, it's uh it can get pretty entertaining at times. No doubt, no doubt. I I'm always looking for different ways to do that, and and I I like that a lot, and. So again, this is the time of year where we're analyzing a little bit of everything that we did last year and, and we're trying to, one, improve ourselves, but two, essentially improve ourselves to improve our players. But we all have slight biases. I'm sure you do whenever you're recruiting or whenever you're looking at video on TV or you know at Craig Hyde on Twitter, selfless plug because he's awesome. But what are you really paying attention to and what are some different things that may not be absolutes but are you see quite often in elite guys that you try and recreate with some of your different players. And again, we, we know that we're going to individualize training and everybody's going to move a little bit differently. But like I mentioned earlier, we all have our biases of, Hey, this is how they move. This is how, what we see. 
So what are some of the different things that you are looking for on a consistent basis? My biggest thing I look for in every guy is how their back leg, their back leg works. Okay. I like, it's the old pole when you land before you get to launch position. I like guys to be in around a 60-40 position. And when that back leg turns, turns, if you got a guy half turns, if he turns all the way, I firmly believe that back leg almost needs to be in an L shape. Like that straight back leg to me, it tells me you're coming off your legs, mm-hmm. you're coming forward. And I haven't seen a lot of guys have success that way. So like for me, when I'm watching anyone as a hitter, I'm watching their setup first and I'm watching how their lower body works. Cause to me, if you can get to that position more times than not, you're going to have a sustainability, you know, to have success and to hit. If you watch Spencer Torkelson, the reason he's so good, not only because I think he's borderline like a hitting genius, he is in a good position to hit almost every single time. And it really starts with the lower half, the foundation, your base. And, you know, I think a lot of times people get caught up and my, my swing's not right. My path's not right. Well, your path is not right because your legs aren't right. And that's changing your upper body path. So okay. for me, the, the lower half for me is everything. Okay. And so say that, that you recruited me or I'm walking on because I'm obviously not good enough to play there, but you're working with me in my swing and I, and I'm really stiff and I do not feel it. What are some ways that you would help me fix it or feel it? Stiff just in general, just loosening up. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a general question, but you mentioned that you like to have some flexion or some L shape, but if just say that my lower half wasn't working real well. What are some different things that you could help me feel or get into the positions that you're talking about? I'll take guys and just take it at a real elementary level, spread them out wide where I'm saying, okay, we're going no stride. I do not want your back foot to get off the ground at all here. And I want you to get a little wider than normal. And I want you to feel a little uncomfortable. And all I want you to do is I would take them back to their load. I'm like, I just want you to connect from here. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there's all kinds. I, so I want to take your hands and your back foot and I want them to turn at the same time from maybe a little farther back than you normally go, but just so they feel the hip and their back knee get underneath them. Okay. And I, I think when you do that and you simplify, I know in a swing, everyone talks about how your back knee goes first. And I get all that, but try telling that to a kid. <laughs> like, hey, I want your back knee to go slightly slightly before your hands. If you, mm-hmm. that, to me, I've always thought if you told them your back toe and your hands, I want those to connect on a string together. I think naturally your lower half is going to work the right way. And that's just a real elementary way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I think if you start there with guys, they'll start to feel it. One thing I see when guys really start their lower half working, working the right way and staying behind the ball, when they first start, they're always out in front because they're not used to having that much time. Yeah. Which creating time, creating timing is everything. So I always make sure to let them know that I'm like, Hey, you're probably going to be out front of these first couple stick with it start your timing a little bit later, be a little slower, a little later with your start. And it, uh, it's, we've had a lot of success with it. No. And and I know that that's fairly general question without seeing video and getting to know whoever that you're working with, but I'm always looking for different ways to say things or different ways to get players to feel things because inevitably we've, we've got our, again, our biases to which we can get 90% of them working right or 95, but you've always got these one or two kids that you're like, I have literally emptied my toolbox for this kid and I cannot get them to understand how this feels. And so I love that. And, and thank you so much for going into some detail with that explanation. And I, I thought that was really good. 
Yeah, and I, the one thing I think you, as a coach, you always you probably have coaches and uh, back in your day you make fun of because you you repeat the things they say it all the time. And mm-hmm. mine, I think, is going to be, hey, start sooner and slower. That's yep. my biggest, 100%. like the timing. I love when guys start sooner and slower because when you're going slow, you can always speed up. When the guys start their load too fast, you can't slow down. You're committed. So that's one thing. If you watch a lot of our hitters, they're almost looking like they're going slow motion until it's time to swing. I think that really frees them up and really speeds their bat up, but also helps them control timing. Sure. Sure. I say that a lot too. And I think that we, the kids that I work with have heard foot down early for so long that, that they don't understand what being on time feels like. And that has, has definitely been helpful for a lot of our kids. And I like that. And I use that term a lot. And so another thing that, that I'm really trying to integrate more into is just some different tech that will help some, if not most of our players and figuring out how to use it and and understanding, you know, when it, whenever we can put a number on some different things, I think it does help the player and it helps them to understand. Instead of being a you know objective coach, we can we can use some different tech to you know try and work through it together. And do you guys use tech at all? We do. I want to say, quote unquote, we're, we're data driven. Mm-hmm. It's more of like data supported. Sure. So like I I like to check out. We check out exit velos and you know things like that on our track band system and use a lot of video that we have we use a lot of like our in-game scouting video and you know percentages and counts so we're not we are getting a a rap soda this year and i really i'm going i know i have a pretty good idea how to use it but it's going to be a different tool going to try to integrate it but i'd say we, we more like to use ours on the back end support i don't know i don't know whether that's wrong or right so we're always we're always willing to try things and get better, but we're not. I want to say, you know, we're not out there taking BP and and checking all that stuff instantly, mm-hmm. which we are going to do a little more of because I think there's a lot of value in it mm-hmm. for certain guys, but some guys I don't I don't think it's it's great for. Sure, understand, and I think that's you coaching to the individual and not just saying a blanket statement of, okay, this works for everyone because, again, inevitably, we as coaches, it doesn't. We'll find that one guy that it just it domes up or that they don't want to use it. And I think you hear a lot of pro guys talking about that stuff too is they'll find usable stuff for them, and then they'll throw away the stuff that, that they don't feel is useful. And I was going to say, we use, we use, I think, data in a different way where we had our – this year we had an analytics team. So we knew certain things like our own hitter hot and cold zones like guys could see how they hit. That's awesome. Always knew like how their at bats would go, whether they swung at the first pitch or if they didn't. Mm-hmm. Like we had a kid, we had a kid, and I don't, I don't want to give his name up. I don't want this to stop. But he, uh, we knew that. Well, no, it was, it was Hunter Bishop, so he's gone. So that's cool. We knew there's a certain point in the year, whether he swung at the first pitch. If he swung at the first pitch, the rest of the at-bat, no matter what, he hit 134, something crazy. Mm-hmm. If he took the first pitch, whether it's a strike or a ball, he hit like 700. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, maybe it was the timing for him, how he processed the information. So just little, little things like that. I mean, well, you can tell him that because you can see it. But mm-hmm. when you have the numbers there and the guy, like Sean Castro was our guy. He did a great job this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you can show them stuff like that, that's the kind of stuff we use. 100%. Yeah. And then we use, um, I don't know if you've probably heard of it, it's becoming really big. It was on the College World Series this year, but the Synergy video system. Mm-hmm. So I, we see every pitcher 
before we've ever faced them. That's awesome. We do all our own scouting. It's the days of trading reports are over for us just because we do all our own scouting. Guys can see pitch shapes before they face a guy. We know two oh three one that you throw a fastball ninety seven percent of the time. We know this reliever comes in the game first pitch with a runner on second. He throws breaking ball seventy five percent of the time. You also know that if he gets ahead oh one, it's a hundred percent, or if he gets down, et cetera. Like you have little tidbits of information like that. And I'm in the dugout with them, so I can kind of dumb it down. So they want to ask, you know, hey, what do you think he's going to throw here? Well, I have my, I have my feel of the game. I know who's throwing, and then I have the data to back it up. So when you run through those real quick in your head, you can spit out a good answer. I think it, I think that stuff really, really helps. Sure, and has that? I'm assuming that it has. But how has that helped you shape different approaches for and curtail them to the individual? Because I think that. You know, we talk about mechanics being individualized, but I obviously approach, and I don't think approach is talked about enough. No, it's not. So that's the biggest thing is you're able to have a plan before before you step into the game, where, where I think before you, you're relying on other people's reports and you haven't really ever seen them. So, yeah, and you can, you can self-scout as much as you scout the other team. So I, that's one thing you talked about off-season reflecting and then last night actually I was sitting with my old personal trainer who happens to be a close friend and he was a, a really good football coach and he's like I was telling him about it he said if, if you're not doing self-scouting in the middle of the season and all the time he's like he's like then you're making a mistake and I'm like you know what I think we could probably do a little more of that mm-hmm. because our guys I mean we're just we got a different level of talent and I think if they're armed and they know their weaknesses, sometimes that's going to help them more than knowing the opponent. And I think that's one thing I'd really like to, some guys do it more than others. Like Spencer Torkelson sees every at bat I think he's ever taken. Mm-hmm. He self scouts himself. And I think that's one thing I want to build in more is more of the self scouting. As much time as we put into scouting the other team, I think I want to try to put in, you know, equal amount of time scouting, scouting ourselves. Sure, and I think that that's a great conversation, at least a great conversation starter is, you know, asking them, how would you get yourself out? And I think that if they don't have an idea, then that's a a different conversation because you need to be aware of how you're getting out and and how pitchers are throwing you and what, what trends that you're seeing. But that's just something that, especially this fall, whenever we're starting to work on stuff, you mentioned working backwards from your game swing, which I really like a lot, but also is how would you get yourself out and how can we work around those weaknesses to try and make them better and, and obviously keep working on your strengths as well. But I really like that. And I love that, that you're mentioned self-scouting because I, I, again, that's something that if we don't know ourselves and we don't know how pitchers are throwing us, how we're getting our, and if we are getting ourselves out, then I think that we're missing the boat completely. No. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm going to take some time, I think here in the off season, just do each individual guy and, probably try to watch you know close to 100 at bats of each probably you know 25 you know each quarter of the season and just kind of come up with a almost like a player development plan or page and kind of like look here's what i see and then even try to get a hold of some opponents reports on us mm-hmm. just to give it some validity and like look it's not everyone wants a big secret like if you continue to swing at the 0-1 changeup, they're just going to keep throwing it so it's, sure. it's really about some guys think everything's more complex than it is in baseball. It's like if something works, especially in college, just keep doing it. Like you don't need to set them up, just keep doing it. So I think that'll be something I really, really want to get better at. 
Definitely. And I, I love that segment. I, again, it, it's something I don't feel like we spend enough time talking about. And another thing that I really like as far as in-season stuff goes is BP setup. And I'm always interested to hear how other teams are setting up their BP. So how do you guys do it? Would you say like for a game, like a game day? No, just or for just in general. practice or training setting. And if, if you want to go into game day, if it's a little bit different, then go ahead. So my, well, I'll tell you, so game day, it's a, it's a little different because so game day for us, I do kind of how we did it in the minor leagues. Everyone will be in the cage. There's no hour restriction on game day. So you can do whatever you want. So we'll have the whole team in there at 2 o'clock, literally 2 o'clock, a 7 o'clock game. And guys are in there banging away. They start with their tee, front toss, thumps and BP, flip on the slider machines, and the bunting will be outside. And they'll do that for a half hour to 45 minutes. Then they come in, change, eat, go back out for regular BP at four. And it's every, like, it's every single game day. That's a cool, like, routine we've created. So you didn't even have to put a time up on the board. They just knew to be in there. So... But when it comes to practice, I think I touched on it a little. We do a lot of the – so if Monday's off, you know, Tuesday, we're going to have our cage work before, and then we're going to be probably on velo machine on the field. we got a game Wednesday. Obviously, we'll be back to game day mm-hmm. Thursday. So anytime we have a practice and I feel like they're feeling good, I want to try to speed them up and give them those in-game swings as much as possible, especially if we don't have a midweek game. We want to make sure the intensity is really cranked up for our BP. We did a thing at the end of the year we kind of came up with and we had end of the year you don't have any midweeks and then during, before the regional you don't have a midweek. So we did a thing where we had machine going in one group on the field, guys facing live on the other field, and then guys hitting the slider machines in the cage. And it was just like a three-group setting, but it was three different groups of pretty high-intensity, you know, tough work where you could easily just been taking regular BP, hitting off the tee. So I think that was something we did at the end of the year that I really liked and we're going to do moving forward. Sure. Now, do you have a certain amount of swings that you're trying to get in versus just deliberate practice? Because I think that's also a balancing act. I think earlier in my career, uh, we tried to get like 100 swings a day, you know, and obviously by the end of the season, dudes are just so tired. Yeah. And is it something that you're conscious about and... I think for the most part, more reps can be better. Not necessarily always are, but we also don't want to get like 20 swings a day and them just completely suck at it versus 100 swings where they're not they're not being mindful of what they're doing. And so what's the appropriate mix for you and how do you work through that? I really just try to feel it out with my eyes. I don't have a number. And it's, sometimes it's tough when guys say they need to hit and you just, you got to kind of explain to them like, there's nothing wrong with your swing, man. There's nothing wrong with your swing. You just need to rest, relax. And at the same time, there's those days where it's like, let's, let's do a little too much today. Like we're going to hit before practice, we're going to hit in practice, and we're going to hit after practice. And I want to gradually make you feel better because sometimes guys associate more swings with getting better, which I think it's, it is a little and it's not at the same time. But to me, if that gives that guy a little edge, that he hit three times today and he goes into the game feeling like, you know what, I've been working hard. I'm not success. I think sometimes your mind, your mind is the best tool you can have. So it's really just a balancing act you know, that I try to feel out. But I would say more times than not, I think probably another thing I, I got to get better at as a coach, I think we probably maybe border on hitting a little too much, but that's just kind of, that's the guys we have. That's my personality too. And I just think you got to learn to, you know, draw it back 
in certain situations, but it's tough, man. These guys are, they're animals. That's all they want to do. They hit all the time. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's just, it's awesome. It's hard. It's hard to say no. Cause I just, I love being out there with them. No doubt. No doubt. I think that comes with experience and knowing your guys too. And obviously <laughs> something that, that we can change every year and, and every week if we wanted to, but let's go ahead and get into some quick hitter questions and you know the first one that i always love learning what other people are learning so what's the latest thing that you've learned that you're really excited about uh maybe thing that i've learned that i'm really excited about just as far as what hitting or just anything in general coaching Any, anything i know that's a little bit broad but i just what are you learning about and what's gotten you excited lately about it well, I'm really, I'm really excited to get this rap soda. To be honest, I'm really excited to find a great way to integrate that into our team because I feel like it can make us better. There's a lot of, a lot of research that's saying it helps, and we've been really good. So if we can find something to put in our toolbox that we can use and make us just a little bit better, for me, I'm really excited. I read about it. I think every day just different ways to use it. So, yeah, I mean that's something. I guess it's not something new I learned, but it's something new we're getting that I'm, that I'm really, really excited about and excited to work with. I love that. And, and you know, that that's something that I think that, that we can do obviously better on a daily basis. And, and the rep soda is going to be a really cool thing to see how you progress from that. I may be picking your brain later this year to see how you guys are using it and how you like it. And one thing that, that I learned from Matt Lawson last week, they he's the hitting coach at Missouri State, and he talked about having – like looking at the Rapsodo spin off of the bat. And I thought that that was really interesting just to, you know, obviously something that's a little bit different than the launch angle and exit velocity that we hear all the time. He started to look at, you know, what the spin looked like. And and I think that that's something that I'm going to have to try and dig into a little bit more this fall. Second question, what is something that you do in practice that your players love? I just, I bring energy every day. I mean, it's, I think they, I think they generally know that I love to be out there and there's, I mean, I got kids and family at home, but when I'm on the baseball field, that's, that's all I want to do. Like that's a big part of my life. And I think, and I hope that they, they feel that and feel the energy and, you know, it can get monotonous, but for me, it's like I coach baseball for a living in Arizona state and I absolutely love my players. And that's something I, I, I want them to feel and know. I think it's just a genuine care and, energy I bring every day I think it uh it's it's really helped me get them to buy in and I think that's probably the biggest thing I do is is relate to the guys perfect I like that a lot and I think that they'll feed off of that as well again if we came to one of your practices what would be three things that we would notice or that would stand out uh within the first 30 minutes or so efficiency everyone dressed the same for one like uniform just anywhere from hat all the way down to their cleats you would see a very, very efficient practice just from, and you would see high energy. And if you didn't see high energy, you'd see an, an upset Tracy Smith. Mm-hmm. So there would be Fantastic. three things you would see very, very efficient. Everyone on time, a lot of energy. If you didn't see energy, you'd see accountability. If you saw energy, you would see just a bunch of people out there having fun and, and, and loving, loving baseball. Sounds like your, your practices are pretty up-tempo and pretty fun to be at. Yeah, I mean, like like anything else, uh, you got to kind of control, embrace the monotony. I think I saw that quote the other day. I don't know if it was on your page or on someone else's, but I really liked it. So you can you got to try to trick yourself a little bit. But yeah, if you if you can keep it energetic and and moving 
and you know, go, go, go. I think it, I think it's easier to keep guys locked in. Absolutely. Well, last one I've got for you is the resource question. I think that we're all a product of the resources that we that we read and the people that we're around. So what are some of your favorite books or resources that have shaped your coaching career? You know, I don't know if I have too many. I'm a big fan of, I think just books in general make you think whether that book is about, you know what I mean, what you're doing or not. So just like those throughout the baseball books I love. I love Moneyball and I love Astro Ball. Okay. And there's a couple couple things in there that, Maybe it doesn't relate to us, but it just gets your brain gets your brain going and turning. So those are probably two of my favorites. I just finished Astro Ball this year, and I really liked it. There's a segment in there about how they put in Carlos Beltran into their locker room because mm-hmm. of the leadership and how you couldn't put a, a number on leadership and having a guy that was like the core guy. And I thought for college, I thought that was such a true thing. So we got all these talented guys, but you need that you need that one leader to kind of pull pull everything together. Maybe he's not as good as the other guy, but just having that guy in the locker room, that was one thing from that book I really took away that I thought was genius on their part. For sure. Have, have you read MVP Machine yet? I think if you like those two books, I think you'd really like that one. Uh, MVP Machine, I'll give it a try. I'm a big on a, so I got a 20 to 30 minute drive to work and sometimes 40 minute home with the traffic. So I just throw on, I throw on the audio book. I'm pretty, yeah, uh, I might be a little too, I got three kids, so <laughs> Sitting down, sitting down and reading a book is not not even something I really enjoy. But if I can listen to it, I can I can get down with that all day. I'll give that one a try. Definitely. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time, and I really appreciate you spending so much time with us today, and really talking about all things that you guys are doing offensively. But if our listeners would like to get in touch with you and just ask you anything that we talked about today or any questions in general, what would be the best way to do so? If they add me on Twitter, I'll send them a DM. I don't like to be—I don't like to be the guy who uh, gets into too many like Q and As on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On, like where everyone can see. But my Twitter name is is Early Baseball. Okay. If they tweet at me and add me and say, "Hey, I want to ask you a few questions," add me. I would gladly add them and talk to them through direct message, just Perfect. to keep it keep it private, pretty open about stuff. So I mean, I would if I see it and I got time, I'll, I'll gladly answer anyone's questions as long as they're not a uh, high school player because that would be illegal and I cannot do that. So (laughs) I get a lot of high school kids asking questions on Twitter and Instagram and I feel terribly. I can't even respond to say I can't respond. So, Mm -hmm. so as long as they're not that I'll gladly, gladly answer any high school coaches or any other coaches. I love it. Well, I'm just going to open up the mic for you and ask, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, it was fun time being on here. we got an exciting team coming in. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know, we just hired Jason Kelly as our pitching coach. who was assistant coach of the year last year. So a good one. talk about a really good free agent get. And then, you know, we're really excited about our team. I think we're going to, I think we're going to make a lot of noise this year. And you always have that off season optimism, but uh, I think our optimism here is really swinging towards off season confidence and building on what we're going to do next year. And I, it cannot get here soon enough. I'd say that. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.